Hi, this is Madeline, a.k.a. Groisha, founder of Growing With The Seasons. Our new voice, Season 1, is the foundation of the intergenerational conversation. It's been in my heart to do. We need more mirrors and voices to inspire our choices. For in the reflection of each other, we all grow wiser. I know I have. To learn more or get involved in this and other co-creations and conversations, check out the website gwtsfamily.com. We offer many ways to help you groom your authentic expression. Here we grow. May we listen for that sweet spot with all our heart. Hello. Welcome to our new voice. Um, today, I have the opportunity slash challenge to be uh, offered a whole bunch of questions that are the reflections of Dominic. Dominic is the person who edited the whole podcast, and he's been listening, you know, and I think part of the intention of the podcast was for all of us to listen, and he's got some questions for me that will maybe give some more understanding to the whole intention of our new voice and learn more about me. Hi, Dominic. Hey, Madeline. How are you? Thanks for letting me go on this journey with you. It has so much been a journey, and your reflection has been so rich. I'm really grateful. It's really helped me recognize the value of, which was just another response to my my way of being. Yeah, yeah. no, it's awesome, because you started this during COVID when everyone was kind of shut out and shut in. So why did you feel the need then to really start this conversation? I had already been in the uh, the mixed generation thing. I have a, a nice rapport that develops between me and 20 and 30 year olds. And I had also had kids and experiences at different ages and stages. And that's been in my language for a long time, this intergenerational conversation, this ability to hear each other and grow together. So when 2020 hit, I was talking with Nate, Nasty, and we were talking about, because I was learning so much from talking to him as a young person and what he was bringing in his reflection. And I said, you know, I, I think I'm going to start this up and see if I can't do all the, all the ages and stages. And I went to my own group of people that I've known over my life, really. And everyone's like, sure, I'll be on a podcast. Sure, I'll be on a podcast. I was like, cool. So they all said they would. And, you know, and it was also a time to catch up with some of them. I mean, the recordings of our conversations are there, but... For some of them, we're just like, well, what's going on with you? You know, how are you? What's What crew from where I knew you last? So it was a really rich way for me to reflect on my life and to put together this voice, this set of voices that could, in fact, give voice to all the generations. Yeah, it's awesome. It worked really well with the way that you got all the different voices all the way from teens to 60s, and then we're going mm -hmm. to get more. So what mm -hmm. does this mean to you, seeing that all your friends were completely down to do this, especially with 
you know, a lot of these people were seem like maybe exes or people that you might have been really close with 20 years ago, but not so much today. So how was that reintegration of that friendship? And what does that mean to you that they were so excited for this? Well, you know, I, I consider that the gold of my life, my relationships, you know, in, in truth, you know, like once I make a connection and I love you, I love you. And I love you just like you are. You know, I don't really go around telling people how to be themselves. I'm more of a curious type. So it's also a reflection that the friendships that we did have were were of the heart. You know what I mean? Like when we come back in, it's like, has your heart, has my heart. They love each other. So tell me the story that your heart's living, you know? So it's really just relationships are everything because in their reflections of others, you know, I looked over your questions, and so I might jump ahead here, but I remember my father, he owned a bar most of my life. He drove trucks first. He did all sorts of things, you know. He was his own uh, money-making guy. And uh, he used to say that the bar taught him so much about himself, how to accept himself, how to love himself, how to accept. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, it's the mirrors. It's the reflections of all these people. Like, you just learn to love yourself through loving them. And I feel like as a counselor, daycare teacher, a rehab worker, a waitress, a bartender, that's what I've been doing. I've been falling in love with me through the reflections of others and recognizing how tender it is to be human. That's a nice way to look at it, that while you're serving people, it's really helping you understand yourself more. Yeah, I get some sessions where I'm like, darn, boy, do I got this in my face. Yeah, for sure. And one thing you speak about is, you know, a lot of people you talk to had kind of an addiction issue, especially the younger people, and a codependence issue. And you said that you don't really have either because you already have enough spirits and you're never in the codependence game. Why does it matter that you shouldn't be addicted or in the codependence game? And why do you think a lot of people are in that? Well, <clears throat> that might have been a grandiose statement, but I think what I was trying to say when I referenced that is that there was a time where my reflection was like, man, something must be going on because I think everybody around me is an addict. Like I did a little inventory and I was like, I am surrounded. So it occurred to me that there was something about my way of being that they were drawn to. You know, I remember one time a heroin addict, a former heroin addict that I was working with at a facility said, don't you understand, Madeline? Like being around you is like you're bringing the light into their dark hole. Like people are drawn to your light to kind of like make their lives better and make them feel better. And I was like, oh, golly, you know, I, I don't even know that that could be true because, you know, I'm me, like I'm already in that spot. I'm not looking for that spot, right? So when it came to me not necessarily going into codependence, what I started to do is when I became aware that I was surrounded, that became my prayer. I mean, now all these different things I've gone to, ceremonies and different things, I'm always asking to be in sovereignty and still connected and not in dependencies that limit my authenticity. But it became clear to me that in codependence, the form is to sacrifice the self for the other, to tune in to them for their okayness, for you to be okay. So it became really important that I was okay regardless of whether or not someone else was okay. You know, whether it was my kids, my friends, my husband, because if I used the other to take me up and down, I was nothing more than a yo-yo, you know? Oh, makes complete sense. And uh, Little Bear kind of talks about that a little bit in his, about how when you try to conform into everyone, you become nothing, that you mm. really want to 
me. So you, you really can't fit in even when you're trying to fit in. And you talked with him a little bit about how you have felt like you've always wanted to fit in. So where does that ability to say, I'm not codependent, but I also, I do want to fit in, but I want to fit into things I care about. Where did you find that healthy balance? I think when I started to really dismantle loyalty, because in loyalty, I used the impetus of loyalty, you know, whether somebody was there for me or I wanted to be there for them or show up in this way that they could trust again or whatever, you know. I, I used loyalty as a motivation. And I started to recognize that that too was a limitation because it was interrupting authenticity. And I was like moving with some resentment building, right? I was starting to build some resentment. I was like, oh boy. And I would say my mid forties, I was just like, no, 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 no. You can't do this anymore. This isn't gonna work. I remember drawing it on a board because what I found in truth to me because another part of what you wanted to bring into the conversation was some of my accomplishments or my road to here. Whatever situation I'm in, my first response is what is the need and what's the most creative way I can find to find the need, to meet the need. So that probably stemmed from an original base of codependence and a certain kind of narcissism and the reflection of, you know, the people that grew me and stuff. So. I was trying to respond creatively to what I sensed the needs were. I'm not able to deny my, my innate kind of intuition or psychicness or something, because it's been true the whole time that people just come and ask me questions and I'd say stuff that they'd go back and talk about for years later. Some of the people on the podcast would be like, I'll never forget the time you told me, you know, so that's been a truth. So I would say that once I recognized that I was responding with creativity. It just became my impetus to do fun stuff. So I was in the hospital one time and a whole room of people come in and I don't know them really. And I start drawing on a board the way we start very dependent and how there's a process of how we start to become interdependent. I, I use a spiral concept and that there's stages of becoming interdependent, but there's a spot sometimes where it's time for you to grow but your relationships to what you know, make it so you don't want to grow because you don't want to leave them. And as I'm drawing it, I'm thinking of all the places I'm doing it. I'm like sitting there experiencing it with them. And like the one person in the room is like, are you okay, Miss Maddie? I was like, I just told myself something I wasn't really as clear about as I thought it was. You know, I got really like, whoa, okay. I got to take a picture of this, you know? I was like, I think I just hit a note. You know, so I, I feel like, uh, it works that way that I, I respond creatively to what's in front of me. So while working in the hospitals in my 40s, it was such a perfect time to be mirrored in all the different ways that people were coming together and falling apart. It became clear to me that I was always going to respond with creativity. You know, that's what I was doing when I worked as a daycare teacher and the kids were running around this and that. We did this whole thing called the Kapok tree book and all the kids dressed as a character as we painted the scene, we drew it and we acted it out. And so, so because I knew getting them involved with those voices in that way would help keep that sense of the story about the sacredness of the tree. And I wanted to make sure they learned that. So I figured out a way other than trees are sacred, that'd be sacred. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna do it like this and this, you know, and that's what would happen in the rehab. Like I would just find ways to get the information there without being as annoying as I could be.
Yeah, no, that's awesome. I like how you bring up the idea of being creative because that's definitely something now in our society that we need to do. There's so much information coming out, but you bring up you're working at the hospital and you're seeing a lot of grief, seeing a lot of people going through a lot of different changes. And you yourself, maybe around that time was when your father died. So how did you grieve his death and what did you learn about yourself through that process? Hmm. Well, my dad didn't die until my 50s. But in my 40s, I was with my dad a lot, actually. I spent a lot of time with him at that time because one of the strengths that my father brought to my frame, he wasn't a person who judged. He really left people open to their own expression of themselves. You know, would he make a comment? Would you, you know, would you get a little sense of him? But inside, you know, he was like, all right, fine, you know, do whatever you do. That's your thing, you know. So my dad really had a way. So even if I would come back to him with a tone like, oh, dad, he goes, are you judging, honey? Are you trying to tell somebody that they should be something different? It sounds like you're starting to think that you're more important than you might be, huh? So he really helped me during that time because I was getting a little cocky. You know, I was good at this. Everybody was loving me everywhere I went. They were like, oh, my God, she's a natural, yada, yada, yada. So he brought me to size. He would really help me remember how it's it's staying centered to where I am and just reflecting them in in a in a uncon, you know unconditional loving way just you know like Rogers would say you know that authentic expression you know that genuine like I'm gonna give you my genuineness you give me yours back kind of thing. So I would say it was like that. But when it came to grieving my dad, I knew he was gonna die because he had had an accident that we knew, like he had said weeks before he passed, like this, I'm not gonna come back from this one, you know? So we had a lot of time together. And in the time, you know, I did the things that made the most sense to me to do. You know what I mean? Like I fed him his favorite food, you know? I sang these Ho'oponopono songs for anything he might've done bad in his life, you know what I mean? I played my drum for him. I read him stories like the Anamkara and the Celtic stuff. like. I did whatever I could think to do that would leave him knowing how loved he was and help him forgive whatever indiscretions were his in his lifetime. So I didn't necessarily not feel like it was met with my heart, but it was a real heaviness that came over me when he passed away. I mean, a 30-pound heaviness in truth. It happened in 2018, and the heaviness to me was some of... I don't know, like, this is my guess. Like, the heaviness that was in him with all of his strength and resilience became me, so I felt stronger because of it, but I felt heavy because of it. You know, I didn't feel like someone else was taking care of it. Like, I had to take care of it. You know, there was nobody who was going to give me money if I couldn't figure out what to do anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was all on me. I felt like that. And, And him passing away was also like the end of an era, right? Like as much as I'm sure lots of girls can say this about their dad, you know, but they don't make people like my dad. You know, that just, I haven't met anybody like him. They don't make guys like that anymore, you know? So there was something about his uh, acceptance of himself that allowed him to be really easy to be around. So I grieved him partly through this, you know, like I've talked about it in the podcast, like I realized how much I didn't understand him. I mean, I knew who he was to me and I knew what I wanted back from our relationship, but I don't know that I 
really knew him and what motivated him past my judgments of what he was doing. Do you know what I'm saying, Dominic? Like, I didn't know him, but I was judging some of his choices, so I wasn't really having compassion for him. Hi, Matt, it's daddy -o. I got the birthday card. Thank you very much. I mean, uh, whatever you have to say, it's good you got it off your chest. It doesn't bother me what you think that you say, why, why? I don't understand what you're saying, why? Uh, the other thing I do know is uh, whatever I used to be, I'm not the same person anymore. I'm 85, starting at 86. I got my knee in Holly Walk. My left eye, I can't see that well. And um, I enjoy your company and the kids' company. So I don't know uh, where you're coming from with why am I doing what. As far as Shield's concerned, he's one of the few guys that once in a while I can do something with. We take a drive, go here or there. I meet him at the track. I go to his house to eat. You know, he's in my circle of uh, conversation and whatever else I do. I mean, as far as the kids are concerned, I love them. I don't dislike them. So I can only uh, tell you I apologize for being where I am. All right, honey, I still love you. When you were talking to Steve, one of the things you brought up was the fact that the reason, one of the reasons you're starting this is because of that voicemail. He left you about how, why don't you tell them where I am? But then, either before or after that, you kind of bring up the fact that he's a womanizer. So it shows that judgment and the fact that you want to know him. But it seems like you might have only known him in a certain way. So you want to talk about how that ideal of really wanting to know him with who he was as a person being a womanizer, how that could have affected your relationship with yourself or your understanding of what, what a father should be or anything like that. Yeah. I don't know that I could comfortably... Uh, say that he's a womanizer as much as, gosh, those words are so powerful. You know, I'm really recognizing these words. I'm grateful to be able to re rethink them a little because, you know, I just flow out of my face sometimes. So my dad was really like a magnet for women. Like it wasn't necessarily that he worked hard to get women. If anything, you know, there was a line waiting for the seat next to him. You know, I mean, he just had a a way about him, a charm about him. You know what I mean? And even into his late years, he was just a really attractive guy. You know, so what he did bring in, though, is women who didn't necessarily have a sense of their wholeness that were more trying to be saved because he had that, that dad-like, you know, had the money, had the, you know, like he could be that safe spot for you. So I don't know how his needs were met. But I would say in his final relationship, he really felt taken care of and he really commented many times on how lucky he was to have somebody there for him to help him as he got older and stuff like that, you know? And and I know even the ones that he, he you know, that I, I met all his different girlfriends over the years and stuff. He definitely did his best to, to kind of help them grow in the way he knew how, whether it was like give him money or give him experiences or push him a little bit, you know what I mean? Though there were many broken hearts that had stories around love and Jack and him not necessarily giving back what might've made it go. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not sure where that came from for him. You know, I'm not really sure. I know that in his world, the value of making money and being able to have experiences and enjoy himself 
seemed to be superior at times, though I just went to the funeral of my aunt who passed his sister. And the, the vibration of family was so beautiful. And I know my father and his brother and his sister were always there together in the holidays. So he did honor family, but he also played the street game the way he played the street game. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he played it out. He did his thing. So as far as knowing him and accepting him as a womanizer, you know, I, I never got treated that way. I, I lit up his world when I walked in the room, you know, like you don't always get people who light up when they see you and he couldn't help it. And it couldn't help but light me back, right? Because he was just happy to see me, you know, and I was happy to see him. So when somebody creates that type of uh, connection with you, I find that what they do is what they do because you still just love them and you're just like, well, I don't know. You know, I wasn't born in 1928. How the hell do I know what I would do as a dude who's not, you know, I, I don't know. I have no idea. Though I think it was oftentimes hard for him too to understand my choices because he didn't understand why I needed to be so independent. You know, he really would have liked me to find somebody to take care of me. So, and that's been an interesting thing because I don't think he was wrong. I think it is nice to have somebody who wants to nurture you back. Do you know what I mean? So I didn't understand that fully, but I'm starting to, as I get older, realize that he just wanted to know that somebody would be there for me. And why do you think you wanted to be so independent? I, I know a little bit about your past that you kind of want to talk about what you went through when you were in college and kind of your first husband. So how did, how did you change? Why did you want to be so independent? And then now with Miles, how do you feel like you've been nurtured and what does a healthy relationship look like to you? I would say I wanted to be independent because I was very easily influenced by others. Like we went back to that codependent stuff. And so I needed to grow a way that my voice was louder than other people's voices in my head. That became part of my process. And when I was building from a sense of, oh no, I already messed up. You know, I, I had a baby in high school, like I'm a loser, oh no, you know? So that, that enhanced the sense of like, oh my God, what did I do now, you know? So, so I think that played into some of my earlier years and my choices in regards to how do I respond to not being the idea of perfect that was pumping through mixed with a, well, you already messed the whole thing up, so it doesn't really matter. You know, so I think I needed to become independent of that judgment. And even though people that were close to me at the time may not even have that judgment, I would feel that judgment around them. So I needed to like pull away from the mutual projection that maybe I was having, they were having, both were having, who's to say, yeah. And when I did that, I recognized that I uh, needed to know myself to master myself, that it wasn't anyone else's responsibility. Like one of my dad's favorite lines when he passed away is he says, it doesn't matter if Batman loves you, honey. He was talking about some guy that he knew and I knew. It matters if you love you. It doesn't matter if Batman loves you. You know, so that was a nice giveaway at the end there. And, and that just really fortified that I needed to make sure that I was somebody that I could trust that I wouldn't be okay or not okay based on who I was standing next to. I'd be okay based on who I am and the decisions that I know how to make from the discernment that I create from the practices that are mine. You know, so that became part of what drove me was to be that. And when it comes to me and Miles, 
He, too, is a pretty independent cat, and I know I just barely touched on the cards in the podcast, but more will come out about these cards. Miles is the king of diamonds, and I'm a king of diamonds, which means that we're a mirror of one another. And so some of the most annoying parts of myself have been put in my face on a daily basis. And learning to love myself through Miles has been a great practice of learning to love myself. And now, from our independent place, we've co-created something called Fishbowl Therapy for the purpose of talking to other couples in circles while listening and reflecting to help us develop more awareness about some of the patterns that could be limiting the potential of a real union of our energies, meaning that I stand sovereign and connected to source as I am as does Miles. And then that third energy that he and I create with the focus that we put there, similar to how you and I focused on the podcast. And because we both had similar investment and commitment, it just came together so well because of the way we met it. So we're learning now to meet our relationship like a third energy and not a competition over who gets what or who gets attention kind of stuff, yeah? So letting the sacredness that comes from the spiritual essence of Madeline and Miles meeting for the shared intention, our physical essence, our mental essence, and our emotional essence, and finding practices to help work that third energy. And just like when you have kids and all of a sudden because you have kids, you do X, Y, and Z, you do what you do to maintain the relationship of that third energy like it's its own fire. And who's taking care of the fire? And if you go back to the me fire, you know, the fire will still be the fire but not that the one that's going to raise our vibration higher and bring us to another game board. As far as where I'm sitting, that's how I see it. I like the idea of you co-creating a third fire because one of the things you talked about is kind of how your kids see you as the mother role and not as Grovisha or Madeline. So that'll be part of that third fire is they, they have to understand that you and them will be co-creating together to create that energy for each other. So how did you see that involvement from a mother who who said that she has played both masculine and the feminine. How have you seen that fire continue to build through your relationship with your kids? You know, my kids are so different because I had them at such different times in my life. I really had like two families in one life. You know, I have boys that are now 34 and 31 and twins that are going to be 19, going to be 20. So they're very different who I was to them as a parent. And I would have to say in truth that I meet everything as a masculine and a feminine because I am a masculine and a feminine, right? Like I adopted the king's ways to maintain access and I came with a mother earth, curvaceous goddess-like being that oozes femininity without even trying, right? So I think when it comes down to laying down the law and using my voice to say, Yo, that's not okay. You know, or, or being able to stay stoic when I needed to and stay in my own form and give them room. And then there's been ways that I'm the one that was up their butt trying to make their beds and making sure that they were happy and wanting them to tell me everything, you know what I mean? So I feel like I met them with all of me. And the younger boys do seem to know Groisha and Madeline differently than the older boys do because it was more in my thoughts. It was in my frequency. Like Groisha was created playing rock band with the older boys, but then I was a make-believe 
person on character on rock band, you know. Now I'm actually the person who made a prayer CD. So it kind of became alive, you know, and that was another way to me to respond creatively. Like, my was going crazy in my 40s with menopause. So much was coming at me. I was meeting things I didn't want to meet. Almost all of those songs started with some little mantra in my head that I was just saying to try to keep myself sane on my little prayers, on my beads, on the things that I made, whatever I could do to keep myself in a thought that I thought would help me come through. And then they became songs because I love music. Like music has, there's CDs for every about five years. Like there's music that has carried me through this life. Like I'm, I believe that's why the next round we're gonna go into music and media and nature because it, it's so powerful in, in shaping us. You know, so I would say that the boys do know all aspects of me and that I think as I got older, I've learned to balance the energies in a way that I'm not necessarily a burden. Right? But then it, that's my fantasy plan, right? Who knows what they would say. But yeah, because I don't feel like a burden. I don't feel confused. I don't feel conflicted. You know, there were times as a younger person where the girly part of me who wanted everything a certain way or wanted to control it would have to like negotiate with the other aspects of me, do you know? Because my masculine isn't very controlling. I'm just rather avoidant. And the feminine in me is a little bit more controlling. Do you know what I mean? So I had to really learn that it was not for me to control or avoid. It was for me to meet and be sincere and be present. You know, that's at the farm the other day, somebody asked me about accountability and I get involved in so many things and sometimes it might come through that I didn't show up the way people might have dreamed I would do and what I said to him was the way I've gotten over that is as long as I'm present wherever I am I'm everywhere so that's not a cop-out that's a like if I keep getting upset with myself for not being able to be five of me or two of me or this or that if I can be fully present with one of my sons, I'm being fully present with all of my sons. If I'm being fully present with you, I'm being fully present with all men right now. Do you know? And with another woman, this same. Because then I can say that I'm there. So that's my thoughts to that one. I like it. So one of the things you brought up towards the end was the importance of having conversations and the importance of being present in conversations that's something that like my generation has been knocked on because we're always on our phones or whatever. Do you find that in, since you've done all types of counseling from teens to married couples, to elders, to everything, have you seen mm -hmm. a big generational difference or do you see that that's another thing that they're just trying to bite us on? Well, I do think that there's a little bit of a willingness to cut and go like a little bit of a ghosting game that can happen more easily than not in my generation. But like someone else referenced, maybe it was you the other day where somebody could get a divorce and never see a person again. And now it's like they're on social media. So, you know, that's a really different experience of how you insulate yourself for your process. But I've also found that the um, emotional intelligence of your generation when they do have a conversation and when they listen to each other is definitely of a different sweetness, compassion, curiosity, right? Like that more callous, like kick you and keep you going. I'll talk to you, but I'm gonna poke you while I'm talking to you kind of stuff. They sometimes appreciate it because it's how they grew. So they hear me do it and they crack up because they know it's like family love in its own sick way, right? 
but they also have helped me grow to really recognize how dearly they're listening when they do listen. You know, and I'm not saying all of them, but I've had the luxury of a good amount of them bringing awareness to me that I wouldn't have had. Do I think that there's a pace that you can go at where you lose your center and you're not as present as you think you are? By all means, I do. And does it happen more in your 30s and 40s than any other time in 20s too? Yes, it does. You know what I mean? And can you do much about it? Yeah, meditate, you know, slow down. You know, slow down, you know, give yourself a little check-in. You know, because I do think that the level of comparison that media brings and the impetus that it brings to perform and to be yourself and to show yourself, like, I feel it a little bit because I'm in it in my business now and stuff like that, so I can relate to it more, but I didn't grow in it. It's just like when I gained a bunch of weight when my kids came when I was younger, I was such a tall, thin girl growing up. I had no compassion for the way people were treated that were heavier because I was never heavy. And then I was like apologizing to people I knew they were heavy going, man, it's like a different world. People treat you completely different when you're fat. You know what I mean? Like, or bigger, obese or whatever, you know, like more than I was supposed to carry was on me. And when I was, you know, long and lean and doing my thing, the attention was endless. And when I packed it on, it became a little bit more maternal looking and frumpy. There wasn't as many lights on my door. Do you know what I mean? Like, so there is a way that we respond to how things look. Why, why do you think we have such a response to how people look yet when we talk to people, all we want is really to be listened? I think it's just beauty. You know, like, I mean, all the trees are pretty, but when that one breaks open with those oranges and the reds and stands on its own, you're like, damn, look at that one. Do you know what I mean? I think it's just an eye for beauty. Do you think an eye for beauty is not a loss for appreciation of other or just a miss on our end? I don't know that they don't see beauty. I mean, like I said, I don't really have a judgment for that generation. I just know that they're different in that they're not regulated by the same cues. You know, and I would say that seeing beauty is a way of saying, I'm that too, right? When I see a, a nice strong yoga body and healthy, vibrant glow in a person's skin, whether I look like it or not, I wanna look like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wanna be around it and learn about it cause that'd be great. I, I'm not sure what is really going on for that generation. I don't know if your generation is confused by the parents or just don't want to be like the parents or whatever's happening because it does seem like there's a real, we're doing it our way kind of thing. And I remember doing it my way to a degree, but they were in my ear and on my porch, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Where. I don't know if that's how the people in their 30s are experiencing their parents. You know what I mean? I don't feel like I'm in their ear on the porch, but they may be feeling like I am, even though I'm not there. One of my favorite things about listening to this podcast is how quickly people open up to you about pretty awful things that happened to them, especially like mm. in this episode. So, I mean, you've gone through that your entire life. So how mm -hmm. can you separate the empathy or the, you know, the, that empathy that you feel for someone and not bring in that, emotion or how and like how do you even play that role of being that good of a listener that people feel so safe to tell you very um you know sensitive things 
I don't know, Dominic. I think everybody wants to tell. Because, I mean, heck, I'm at the grocery store and they tell it. You know, people want to tell. Right? And uh, I believe that uh, that's a learned thing to a degree. But I also give up the belly. Do you know what I mean? I've also noticed that I bring my heart right out there. Like, I'm just like, I'm not going to be sitting here looking at you and taking notes. I'm right here in the mud with you saying, want to talk about the mud? Let's talk about the mud. Do you know what I mean? So, and I don't usually have any idea what I'm going to say until it happens. Like, I really respond to what they show me. Like you with your questions, I have no idea. I just try to answer honestly. Do I fall into shtick and say things like womanizers and this and that? Those were words of the day, that's what he was called, you know, but is that in fact what he was? I don't know, he was himself doing the best he could with the life that was his. And he wanted people to be happy too and he loved his family and he loved his life and he wasn't trying to make anybody feel bad. We speak about authenticity and truth, and I think this is a good time because very rarely throughout the podcast did you talk about many of the accomplishments that, that you've had in your career and your life. So if you want to, do you want to list a couple of things or everything that you've done and why you are an important figure today? Uh, okay, so um, I once I started being a mom and worked at daycares, I really wanted to go to school to help the families because it was obvious to me how much was going on in the families through the children. And that became an impetus beyond, you know, having children, being married and, and doing the things I did. I was a really uh, avid tourist of New York for many years. Like I went to everything, everywhere. I moved there after the baby was up for adoption. And I really got to experience the culture in New York for many years, three or four years. And then I got married and had kids. And then my response to everything became moving me forward. So then I have an associate's and then I have a bachelor's in psychology and women's studies. And then I'm working with teenagers in a rehab and I get a CADC, which is a clinical alcohol and drug counseling thing, you know, and then... I get pregnant with twin boys, and while I'm home with twin boys, somehow, through the grace of God, I did not pay one dime for any of my education. I receive an opportunity to get a master's, and then that takes me to the next thing. And as I'm in the hospitals with the master's, I open up the center growing with the seasons, a center for inspiration, because it becomes clear to me that people need to continue to be inspired when they get stuck in these ways. And I know that the reflection of each other will support that. You know, and then I realized that I had to get myself stronger if I was going to open up a big tree that was me to hold all these people. So I went and learned Kundalini yoga. I started my yoga stuff and I started to do my mantra more. And the mantra and the singing became the primary piece that stayed with me. You know, and then from there, I just continued to learn all the things, you know, about family systems, about everything, mindfulness, like everything that was coming out. I was just taking classes and learning what I could Gardening was a big part of what I was doing all the time. Started going to festivals. Then I started all the medicine things and got involved in medicines. But all the way through since the 90s, before I even got my bachelor's, I started making sweat lodges in my backyard because I went somewhere where somebody invited me to a sweat lodge, which I didn't have any idea what it was. And I smelled sweetgrass for the first time, which I've been braiding all day. And it reminded me of everything. I remembered a whole different connection 
to things. And so while I was accomplishing what I was accomplishing, I was in my backyard using bamboo gotten from a neighbor's, figuring out how to build sweat lodges and finding rocks and making fires and sitting with the earth and listening. And that's when I really started to recognize that there was an inner voice that was really where I wanted to make my choice from. The kundalini enhanced it even more. The ceremonies, the reflections of others grew it more. And then I started to uh, have my own practice for a while, doing some festivals, started a business called Real Beauty Uncovered with some sisters of mine, helping to activate the beauty from within. And then I went and got a hypnosis certificate to help use this voice I have for like meditation and for vibration and to help people come through like that. I had a, then after that, I made the prayer CD and all the songs came out, you know, and then I started doing the podcast. So when I reflect on my life, whatever's happening in front of me, I respond creatively because that's my way of knowing that I'm expressed in the experience. And so have I learned a lot of stuff doing all those things? Sure. Did I mostly learn about myself and the reflection of others and through listening? Yes, I did. That's where I learned the most. Yeah, my favorite thing about you is that you're like, I like this. I'm going to learn as much as I can about it, and then I'm going to do it myself. And then I'm going to invite everyone else to learn to learn their own way too. And mm-hmm. then we're going to complete, then we're going to together have this shared interest and shared knowledge. That's what, that's my favorite part. You keep nothing just to yourself. Everything. Yeah, that's funny. I just had lunch with a girlfriend, Jill, who's on the show today. And, uh, and she said, you've just always been creative something like every time, like our whole life, like, you know, I've known her a long time. And I said, but what I've gotten to now is I've written out the philosophy of growing with the seasons, you know, the world according to Madeline a couple of times, you know, I've recorded it. I have pictures for it. I mean, it, it could probably go out. It's not far from done, but I have no interest in that. I want to put mine with a bunch of other shared geniuses and I want it to grow something that can be a real guide to grow humans because for people to be like, well, I'm doing what Madeline said. Like even if therapy like, well, I remember what you said. I'm like, well, careful, you know, make sure it's what you would say. Don't be taking me to the bank, put your own money in the bank. You know what I mean? If it hits you, then run with it and think about it for you. But if you use me as a way to get forward, you're going to end up, you know, eventually on your own because I'm not coming. You know, I'm going to stay where I'm going. I'm not on your ride. I'm on my own ride. But it's not going to be as strong inside if you're using my voice to make it okay. Though in the beginning, I understand you want to have a couple things to build on, some bricks for a new foundation. You know, so I do believe that the shared genius is the way to inspire a better way, a better world for us. And the soul's gardener, that's what Groesha is. You know, that's what my friends used to say when I called myself that. They said, you know what Groesha is? It's a soul's gardener. So as a soul's gardener, I'm not telling it what to be. I'm just giving it the nurturing and the consistency it needs to grow so I can see what it is and be ex- excited by what it is. I like your idea of bringing your own knowledge to the bank because that's really what authenticity is. It's you can take what everyone is telling you, but you have to build your own form of mm-hmm. podcast so you can push your own self forward. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that I really enjoyed doing this podcast was because your first set of questions to me is, part of the most important shift in our society right now, which is gender and relationships, considering that there's more non-binary trans is coming into the media and coming into the front of our society. And that's, of course, getting a pushback. And to think that relationships are one of the biggest reasons for pain and suffering and death and just like gender is. So from what your knowledge is, why do people push back on 
different or people trying to form their own self, form their own authentic self, right? Be free. Everybody wants to be authentic. And why are we always against people trying to create their own gender or their own style of relationships? And why are we so quick to judge anyone that is authentic to their truest self? Well, some of that's just because it's weird, right? Like when you're older like me and you see somebody do that, it feels weird. It's not what's common, right? So when something's not in our norm, there's an adjustment to it. And one of the ways we protect ourselves, or insulate ourselves, is through, you know, discernment slash judgment. You know, so, and I would say that to be as authentic as you want, but what I notice comes up is when somebody is claiming their stake in the ground and they need everyone else to know and change because you're claiming your stake in the ground, that gets a little much to me, right? Like I can claim this androgynous being, I've been talking about being androgynous for a long time. You heard my old friends, nobody didn't hear. And in 13 years old, I was half a boy and half a girl for Halloween. Like I've always been talking about this, but I wasn't putting a stake in asking people to treat me differently because I was experiencing this, right? So I might say when I'm grieving somebody or something's happening, I might say, can you be a little easy on me? I'm having a hard time. But if I'm like working out the Madeline being, I don't know that it's everyone else's responsibility to make it comfortable for me. So that kind of goes back to the codependence. Um, yeah. I mean, cause, yeah. I mean, I don't know what it's like. I can't, I couldn't understand. I can't, I don't know what it is to be an African-American person right now or an Asian person right now or a transvestite right now or, a, you know, a they right now. I don't know. So... I can't necessarily give the compassion that somebody would want, but I can give the room to bloom. I'm just like, go ahead, you know, take it. You know, it's your spot. Go ahead, rock it. But if you need me to tell you it's okay for you to rock it, then you're not rocking it. No, that, that makes sense. Having to need the acceptance of everyone, just like what Will Bear said. You end up finding no one that's alike to you because you're so many, you're so many different puddles. You're not in the yeah. group that you want to be, which I think brings us to kind of our idea of the bridge between season one, season two, which would be you, the listeners get to take over the conversation. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's so fun. So, yeah, I mean, to me, if I was hearing this, I'd be so excited to want to go and ask my family and find out what they would say, you know, because... They're the ones that grow by me. And I have done some of that. Obviously, you're going to meet a lot of my family. And uh, so, yeah, there's a call out. And after having some conversations, I, I thought to create or we thought to create it in a more narrow field, specifically calling to in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, first generation. People were here first generation because that's such an interesting shift and it's such a bridge of the hearts because the love of the family and, and the journey to get here is such a romantic, beautiful part of life. But then to be of this culture and that culture and build a bridge of understanding and to take on whatever the other culture has that may not be present in this culture, those are interesting factors. And since we are the, the melting pot and there's so much of that in our, in our you know, world here in the United States, the calls out to people who are first generation 
to take these questions. We're going to make a little booklet of questions that you can come in for. And if you're willing to do it, we'll be sending you out a little thank you sticker of our new voice logo there, which we think is so cool. And you'll be asked to come back with your findings. And then we're going to choose out of the set, you know, a few that we can record and, and listen to and hopefully get one from all the different cultures and help people be able to align to the big conversation. Because most of my friends are not that far from my orientation. So the more that our new voice can include different vibrational understandings and senses, that's that's the richer it gets. You know, I, I'm hoping to keep a potency to it, but a richness in the authenticity and the uniqueness of the conversations that come. Now, that's the greatness of this. You're bringing your therapy background of, I want to know the answer to these questions, so I'm going to set it up for you so that's mm -hmm. as possible for mm -hmm. you to go through. Questions that are very rarely asked and tough to answer, so I think it's awesome. Yeah, people would laugh at me like, where did you come up with this, Madeline? I'm like, this is the way I think. But as I mentioned to you before, I asked those questions because I know that's what shapes how people think about themselves. I wasn't from this idea of gender. I wasn't thinking about it. Like, it was fresh in the current of creation's information that I was digesting. So the question came from that circulation. But my motivation was not to activate this whole gender thing. It was to really understand how people understood themselves. And I know that that gender orientation is a factor of the puzzle, mm -hmm. right? And the other thing that I accomplished along the way is I'm also an ACS, which is an accredited clinical supervisor for both drug and alcohol counselors and regular counselors. And I really enjoy the idea of supporting counselors to become uh, present and authentic and, and, uh, and true with people. And, uh, and that's another thing that, that came through. And I spoke to a student who was studying res uh, clinical psychology. And he said, I just don't know if I want to do research or therapy. And in my reflection, I said, I'm pretty sure I've been doing both the whole time. Like, I do do therapy because I enjoy it, but it's always on research. Any job I went to, all the beautiful places I've worked, you know, really great spots that I have wonderful people still in my life from, it was always research. You know, research to understand, like, what is this human experience? Like, I joke and say, some people study rocks. Like, I study humans. I just find it so fascinating to see how we develop and what comes through. So that's what I do, and that's how I did it. And we definitely welcome those of you who be inclined to ask those questions. And if you want to write something instead of record it, like, you know, we're definitely going to give you some options to meet what's possible. And even if you don't tell us about it. Ask some questions, learn about them. Like, don't do it, you know, later, because it's part of you, you know, get a sense of where they come from, like, what their music was like, you know, like what their values are. Because it's not only in the projection of who you're supposed to be, it's them really wanting somebody to know them. If you were to create a better world, what would your values be, Groisha? Oh, gosh, Dominic. Well, you know, first thing I'm thinking is how everyone always tells me I'm so abstract. So I would say um, <laughs> my values would be to uh, to be present, to be truthful, to be kind, to, to be funny, like don't take it too seriously, right? And to allow change, like to recognize that there's a value to the fact that we are falling apart 
and coming together at the same time. So the value of the preciousness of life is, is in this moment, and it's always making it better when you're not in crazy town sending letters complaining to others and stuff. So I would say along those lines, and friendship, relationship is a great value too, like really like building friendships that last a lifetime that help you really know who you are and you don't compromise yourself for them. You just be yourself and they love you like that. Yes, leaning into those friendships to find your truer self. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'd say that'd be my basic. We're mm -hmm. starting this conversation and letting me be a part Thank of you. it. Thank you, Dominic. You're doing such a great job of being such a cheerleader. And I'm happy to know you're your own little uh, counselor over there, keeping me honest with all these questions. So thank you for everything, really. And uh, to the most high, as Nate would say, like continue to let this grow to the potential conversation to really allow understanding and bridges in our hearts to grow so that the alignment to who we are, like source to star, like to come into our more divine expression can happen with like good, good, good conversation. Let's keep the good conversation flowing. Right on, right on. Come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Dominic. I appreciate your presence and all of this and uh, may continue to flourish and be sustainable and give you everything you need too. May everything you've been giving to this come back to you times 10 and 100 or more. Uh, you as well. Thank you so much for putting in the work when everyone else was at home trying to be by themselves. Nice. Well, Zoom is a good thing. Zoom is a good thing. <laughs> Zoom is a good thing. So thank you so much, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. This will come through, and you'll see more about how to get involved in the conversation. And please keep listening for the sweet spot with all your hearts. Awesome. Thank you, Madeline. Thank you. Hello, welcome to our new voice. My goodness, you know how I talk about magic and how magic is meaningful actions get intentions crystallized. I cannot tell you how much magic is involved with what's about to happen. You know, in 2020, when this idea of being able to talk to everybody in little rooms meant I could talk to my friends all around the world and hear what they think about things that were so important to me, I was just making a podcast of our new voice for the fun of it. And I thought, oh, I could do it. I could do it. And you can know if you're in your 50s like me, I got packed away pretty quickly. And I was afraid of what I would do to people. I would get so mad at the computer, you know. So I learned that it was what it was. And I stored them all away. And I put them in good order. And I left them there. And then one day at the farm, I'm hanging out with a young woman who's become a great catalyst there, Erin from Kokri. And she um, heard me talking about this podcast because I was talking to some others about a homeschooling group and I was telling them how I'm so invested in families and them understanding each other in different generations. So she took her ear to it. And next thing I know, I'm sitting in this magical portal working pretty regularly with who you're about to meet, Dominic, who's the only person who's heard all the podcasts besides me. And we thought it'd be a good idea to ask him the questions after listening so much and then also hear his reflections and talk about whatever comes out. You know how we do. So I want to welcome you to the voice of our new voice, Dominic. Welcome and thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on and thanks for letting me be part of this awesome project. 
Yeah, it was definitely an alignment for us both. I'm convinced now that part of magic's intention is to put us in alignment. So that means it doesn't happen when you think it's going to happen. Like this was happening in 2020 in October and da 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 da, and then it was happening in 2021 da 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 da, and then it wasn't happening, and now it's happening at the perfect time. Mm -hmm. And what a what a time 2020 was, and what a time to get all these voices and conversations going. So props to you for taking the time when people kind of were secluded to themselves and saying, "I'm going to spread my." my word and see what people want to talk about. So props to you. Thanks, Dominic. Thank you so much. Yeah, I must say the reflection of Dominic has been really empowering. You know, like when you grow in a family with somebody, as you all might know, you hear certain voices all the time. So to have somebody be inspired by your voice or like your voice or talk about your voice, I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, all right. So I appreciate how the reflection has helped to mirror more confidence for me. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Thank you. So let's go to the questions, you know, let's, let's talk about, you know, what it is that comes up for you. I know one of the things that I, I heard you mention in our conversations was wanting to bring in more binary kind of impressions, right? Because a lot of the ones that came through when they talked about gender, it was a little bit more black and white for them. It wasn't necessarily such a uh, question mark. So for you, what was it like for you to be informed about your gender? And what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I always knew I was going to be a man. You know, I always I was raised to be a man and like carrying the last name. My last name was always a big deal in my family. So I always felt that kind of need to make sure I'm elevating my family name, which I'm sure women feel the same way. But since society has allowed or since society has kind of put this ideal of the woman taking the man's name, I was kind of raised more to care about my brand and who I was as a person and all the people I was affecting. Because for me growing up, it wasn't necessarily me doing things. It was if I, you know, like in high school, I was big into comedy and I really crossed the line a lot. And so then my mom would have to call me back and be like, you know, with who you are, you're also affecting me. You're also affecting your brother. You're also affecting your dad and your grandma who has that name and your cousins who have that last name. So you really got to watch your footwork. So for me, realizing who I was as a man really came into being my effect on the world rather than the effect on myself, which I feel is kind of where the men's mental health kind of thing is going, where we got to start going back into ourselves because we don't really have that connection to ourselves. Um, and what was interesting with the podcast I was listening to, especially with the Little Bear, is he had the mm -hmm. connection to himself and he had this understanding that he can play with girls and he can step out of his comfort zone like he didn't have to play football like his brother he could go into music and even seeing with the teen boys you interviewed this idea of maybe like a loss of masculinity in the way that maybe your generation or Sangoma's generation might have seen it as to because of what we've gone through as a society in the last couple of years and i, I want to ask you this question as a mom to teen boys and to older boys, have you felt that you've kind of raised them to be men in that sense that you were raised upon of kind of last talk, or, you know, like you put foot down, you're in charge of the house, you know, more of that? Or do you think you kind of came in more, you got to listen to everyone and be more heart centered? How, how do you feel about that? Well, first, I want to talk about what you mentioned as far as the ripples of our actions. Right, because I think that's a, a really big piece of the coming together and alchemizing with the family, right? Because 
you know how often you hear, oh, it's just, I'm doing it to myself. I'm not doing it to you. It's not your room. It's not this. It's not that, you know? So, you know, not just that, I don't say those things too, you know? So the first thing is like, wow, you know, that, that is a big teaching. And I don't know if everybody brings it through, but yes, like in our house, I would say you reflect everything. Like what happens to you happens to all of us, right? Like we affect one another. And honestly, it's part of what humbled and reigned me in is recognizing how much I affected everyone. Do you know? Because there's definitely times where my not having my emotions met, I could meant I could have lots of emotions, all that I wanted. Do you know? Like, and I think that was a byproduct of what happened when we pushed them down and then they came out like a power hose on people. You know what I mean? And there was a certain kind of manipulation in it too. Like you'd be pushing your emotions towards certain outcomes. So I think sometimes in families, we get ideas about, you know, our family, our name, our this or that, you know, like, and I think those things, they run deep in people because it's like what they're still holding on to that means they're part of something. And I think humor is such a sensitive thing because I think one of the reasons I've hesitated to be a comedian is because I don't know if the people I know could tolerate what I would actually really say. You know, I would love to just say it just like I really feel it, you know, and in some of the podcasts, I think I, I articulate things pretty clearly, but in a, in a certain environment, I know I could go on, you know, and be silly about it, but it, there's such a sensitivity to our ideas of ourselves, you know, so I think when families start to let you know, like what you're doing, you know, I think it's for a lot of reasons. Like one is, you know, I want you to be more like me and the other is like, hey, what you do really affects me. Can like we work towards understanding our actions together so that I'm not like walking around like afraid to get hit by your choices. Yeah, it's interesting that humor part because that's something I've definitely been obsessed with is what is funny and how can I make things funny. And especially there'd be times where I talk to people in marginalized communities and I'd be like, how do you feel about the Dave Chappelle stand-ups? Or how do you feel about you know, white people making black jokes or, and they always come back to the same thing of if it's funny, it's funny. But part of being funny is you have to make fun of yourself in it. Cause if you're only making fun of me, then that's not funny. You're not punching up, you're punching down, which has been very common for a long time. And that's definitely something that I feel like in the journey of growing up, you kind of realize the more you punch down at people, the more your ripple effect happens. So that moment where you can say, no, 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 I'm not making fun of you for who you are. I'm making fun of how society treats you. And I'm doing that through me. It's finding that balance of how, do, how can we come together as people and say it's really wrong what's happening to you, but I don't have the emotional capacity to be there with you. Like, that's just not who I am as a person. I don't have the ability to be down the dumps with you. I want to point it out and make fun uh -huh. of it. And that's <laughs> something that, definitely in a lot of these conversations you had was giving the space for people to tell their opinions and people to say how they feel about things. Uh -huh. And then you responding. And I feel like that's kind of where we're going with comedy and humor. Cause to me, comedy is the beginning of culture. The minute you can like, like Charlie Chaplin making fun of Nazis, <laughs> that was to help overcome all the fear that we had after world war ii right because mm -hmm. even though hitler died we still had nazis and we still have nazis mm -hmm. so how can we marginalize them out and not marginalize people that just want to be who they to their truest self is how do we marginalize the hate of the world mm, so. nice 
Well, first off, I love pull up, punch up, punch up and punch down. Like, geez, that's such great language. I always say that if I'm a comedian, I want to be a spiritual comedian, you know, which would be a punch up. Like, I want to keep it funny and real, but get you laughing because you know that shit's what's up. You know, you know, it's what we do. So I'm with you on that. And I love the comedies at the base because anytime I've gone into any of those deep healing places or Swami Rami places where they're going to get to my core and they're going to open me to the depth of my wound, I start laughing. And I can't stop. And there's and it's and it's because I think it's all just funny. Like I, I honestly, when I go into these deep ceremonies, different prayer circles I've been in, there's been times where I'm like, I gotta get out of this room because I can't stop laughing. Because I just see it all as just so just a story and it's so silly and the way people play it out. Like we're all funny. You know, like we're really funny. And when you can get to the rapport and the safety with others to know that we're just, you know, we're funny, man, that's the best. To me, that's freedom. No wonder that would be at the base. I mean, that's the core. Like, it's it's just giggling at the beauty and the things that you get to see, right? So, yeah, I appreciate that. And I feel like I'm having another magic report because my secret fantasy the whole time is to be a comedian and be brave enough to go up and really talk about what's up. And I didn't even know about this comedy thing. So this is what I mean. Even when you think you know what you're going to get, I'm like, what? Comedy? All right. Okay, later, later. But how exciting. <laughs> you know, well, and that's what I liked about the Matisse and Macy and Jill Norellis conversation was because they didn't really have an introduction to womanhood through their parents. They were kind of just left on their own. But when they told the story of it, they were laughing. The fact that they were so interested in looking at their mom naked in the dressing room or the fact that when they had the first period, they didn't have anyone to talk to or they didn't know what to do. And I think that trauma of not really having a path into growing up and kind of learning it yourself can really affect people. But when they told the story, it's like you could tell that they've come to acceptance of it. So now it's a story that you can share with other people. And I think that's the power of our new voice. And that's where the comedy comes in of, I have no shame in what happened to me. It happened mm -hmm. to me and I'm going to share it. So now people are going through these shameful things that shouldn't be shameful, but they are because no one tells you mm -hmm. they're not. So therefore they are mm -hmm. is now, no, I'm, like we, and you brought something a lot too. We're going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like we're all going through the same world right now. So let's just take shame out of it. And by doing that, I'm all, and by having shame taken out, you're making fun of yourself. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. You know, they're, those two girls are so funny because um, their parents and I all bartended and waitress together and we're in music. Like we hung out together. They were like crashing at my house, you know? So I know both their families really well, but those two girls didn't necessarily grow up with each other. They grew up just kind of knowing similar circles of families and such because both their parents ended up separating. But I tracked a lot of kids through those ages. You know, there was a lot of kids in my house. I had a real magnet to the families that were having struggle, and I just took the kids in and just had some real conversations with them. So we did opt towards making it silly and laughing because that's what my sisters and I did, like, when we were young, it was real to us that mom was a little bit, you know, in her own world and not necessarily seeing things according to everyone else. And she was going to be pretty ridiculous. And we had to do whatever she wanted because she was a boss, you know, but we laughed about it. We made fun of it. We laughed at ourselves. We saw ourselves doing it. So I think that sometimes in those families that are dysfunctional, broken, messy, addiction, codependent, there's some amazing classrooms. You learned so much about the capacity of humans and forgiveness and acceptance and appreciation 
of what the person does live through to do as much as they do do, right? Like you really start to understand. And you also see in every one of those families, you end up wearing one side more than the other. So everybody's being invited to a classroom of balance. Everybody's being invited not to overgive or to undergive. Everyone's being invited to thrive and to find a way that we inspire each other. So those girls were just always so much like their mothers and their mothers were two of my closest friends ever. So it was like mini versions of them making fun of my sisters, my friends, you know, they were my sisters in my heart, but you know what I mean? Like, so we'd be teasing on them, but we'd be seeing if what it was. And I'd be laughing at myself, telling them what I did with my kids and how ridiculous it is. Like I always made fun of me to all of them. Like anybody who's on this knows I make fun of me hard. Like I think it's ridiculous. I think this character is just funny. So why not? But yeah, there's so much in those homes that's so pure and so creative and so loving. So I really pray all that shame or thoughts that people hold around themselves, like, oh, I come from this, I come from that. It's like, good. What'd you learn? Because if you came from it, it was there for you. And I guess a question I like to ask you in the teen boys conversation, they um, one of the kids was talking about how he didn't feel like he mattered. He didn't feel like whatever happened happened. He didn't think the world was going to go on for that long. So at what point does making fun of yourself kind of manifest into I don't matter or I am a broken person or the words you kind of say to yourself actually kind of break you down? Yeah, that's an interesting spot because, you know, for me, that conversation was so typical Tristan and Cole because if one says one thing, the other says another. So that's how that conversation goes. So, so the truth is somewhere in between. But when it comes to um, what I think he was trying to say is that he's not hung up on himself in a way that it's like, I'm going to make a difference. I'm the one who made the school that saved the souls of this many people. You know, like he's not of that character, right? He doesn't in vibe that he saw that overgiving sacrifice martyr stuff is not necessarily something he was looking to reside in. You know, he really wants to be present and enjoy himself and be creative. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's clear like that. And he had enough classroom time and he wasn't in the full on, but we had that stuff early in his life and then we didn't have it. So he had a lot of classroom time. He really saw the energies of what was happening, you know, and because they came together as twins and they were born in 2003, they're of a certain spiritual frequency. You know, they could see things pretty clearly. You know, they weren't easily dumbed down. You know what I mean? So I feel like when people talk about that idea of being important, uh, I think it's all about can we be important to the fact that we're all here for the same possibilities. Like, so if you can be important enough to say, I'm going to bring something healthy to where I grow, and I'm going to be able to bring more health to where I grow because I'm healthy and I'm clear, and I know my boundaries, and I can use my gifts if it feels intuitively wise to do so for our community. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about that because it seemed like in the older generations, it was a lot of the person they were with, they usually divorced or it kind of was a bad relationship. So do you think that overcorrection into finding your own happiness is too much of an overcorrection, or do you think that's the right response so that we, we don't continue the cycle of being in relationships that kind of tear us down and they might tear down the next generation, et cetera? You know, it's a deep question, Dominic. You know, I think that it goes both ways as far as like where your classroom is, if it's to leave or to stay. 
You know, I think that it varies depending on what it is that your part is, your true part in what's happening. You know what I mean? Because from the outside, it might look like, oh, you have everything. But, you know, the person may not even talk to you or this or that, you know, whatever is really going on that's creating the despair in a home. But as I worked with so many families, you know, so many, so many families, I would say to the parents all the time, I said, oh, you can do whatever you want. You can divorce, you can sleep with other people. But no matter what, you have to live as one heart. You have children. So somewhere in your heart, you need to share it so that they can meet a shared heart. And that was such a hard thing for people to do because they would become confused and hurt by the other person believing that that person should suffer now because you suffered. But they were put in your life so you would suffer. They was all part of what was supposed to happen. What are you crying about? Like, that's what happens. You go through stuff. You live through stuff. They were also the person who made you so happy and gave you a magical day that you got married. Like, it's all how you tell the story. What I noticed the most, it's all the lens of how you tell the story. So if you're looking for any attention or focus on the poor me, you tell your poor me chords hard. And if you're looking for the look at what I got myself through, look at me, you're playing the Braveheart song hard. You know what I mean? So it's like you're using your words to sing how you keep it in your heart. So it's like a tuning of telling the story like it happened for you. That's more important than anything else. You know, so I, I, so when you bring up what happens in the families as far as like relationships, I've kind of learned that it's happening in a way that it's frequency, it's vibrational, right? There's alignment to assignment. You know, there's times where it's like we had a job to do. We came in to have these kids. We came in to get married, this and that. But in the expanded way that our hearts can play, like I feel like there's really an ability to open all the way to each other, like what happens when you first fall in love with someone. You know that way that all your chakras open and you're like, Ding! you know, it's like, I met the one. So I think there's a way to maintain that more, but not with so much attachment. I think the reason that it shuts down is because we start to storytell it and weave it into our past story, our future story, our fears, our insecurities. So we kind of complicate the ability for relationships to actually be magical. Do you think, because in your first marriage, you kind of talked about how your father-in-law kind of said it wasn't going to last more than two years because you guys are both powerful. Do you feel like you still kept searching for, after that relationship ended, do you think you still kept searching for a powerful man or do you think you kind of changed the man or did you change yourself after what you learned from that? Jesus, Dominic. It's so funny. You're the, you're the seven of diamonds, just like Philip. So I would say when, when Papa mentioned that we would struggle, what he means there is I came from an all-woman's family. You know, my dad was gone. My mom was the boss. I was standing five foot 11, a couple of inches over his son. And his son was, you know, Vanaducci. And we, you know, this is how it is. And one time, you know, we made the sauce together. And like all these different like ways that my strength was not what they were used to, right? So I do believe that it was a challenge for me and my first husband to uh, express our strength the more so it was for me to be myself because there was a way that my expanded personality, my bigness, you know, my, my, the way people respond to me would be offsetting to Philip. You know, he wouldn't necessarily be able to be comfortable in it with me. Do you know what I mean? So 
it became a, a way that, you know, we were compromised. And then, you know, I honestly believe in every relationship I've been in, once the kids come in, you're kind of in a situation. You're not really in a love story anymore. You're in like the, I said yes to this sitcom that has my name on it, and this is my kids, and I'm going to tell a bunch of stories that the way I lived it, and some of them might be true, and some of them might be exaggerated, and this is my turn, and these are the ones that I get, and this is who I do it with. So I think in that way, there's a commitment to wanting to do a really good job in that. Do you know? So I would say for me, my commitment in my relationships was to be a good mother, and I knew that to be a good mother, I needed to honor their fathers no matter what they were like. But I did find that I chose in my second marriage a person that accepted me just like I was, like didn't have any idea of how I needed to be, was actually more just curious and accepting, but also wanted me to be very accepting of his authenticity. And that was more tricky than I thought it was going to be, right? Because there was ways that I'm like, no, you can't do that in front of her. No, you can't say that to our kids. You know, like there's ways that I wanted to like wire him to my thoughts, you know, so it was tricky, but it gave me a lot of room to bloom, but out in the world, right? It didn't necessarily, because he wasn't and isn't, and is growing to be, I believe at this time, he's 52, but his social skills were not his strongest suit. So he wasn't in the world with me. So I still became somebody who had to be strong by myself, right? And I'm really curious about being in more shared experiences, more team-like experiences, because I'm resourceful, I'm creative, I'm playful, I work hard, but boy, I can really see a lot more cool stuff happening if I was part of a great team. And I would say in my two families that I lived, there was team in the fact that certain things and certain stuff we did together, but there was a lot of individual energy kind of pulling itself into its own tree spot and not necessarily wanting to get into a thought set that everyone shared. Everybody was a little bit more in their own idea, do you know? So I'm wondering how it's going to feel to be around energies that are feeling in the same way and want to use their gifts towards the same thing. Like, I feel like I'm joining a family for the first time in a certain level by bringing all this together. I been sharing with Dominic how tender the whole experience has been for me because I'm receiving so much from it because I can hear the safety and the purity. Like it's like I've been painting for such a long time and I've never even seen the picture. I just keep painting. And I could cry. And then like all of a sudden I pull back. I'm like, fuck, look at what happened. Gosh, I painted a lot of stuff. And I'm just like, wow, you know, so I think relationships are to help us be resilient. Like I tell all of my family now, I'm like, I don't know why you guys played your card the way you played your card, but y'all resisting me and being so annoying and so like, like yourselves, help me be so strong. It helped me be so strong in my truth. Cause like, I knew this was the truth. I didn't care what they said. And I didn't care how crazy I looked. Cause I knew in my soul that what I was talking about was, was possible. And it's happening more and more. There's a spiritual renaissance. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's very special what you did because there's a lot of people who will be like, I want to make this podcast and I want to start this conversation. And listening to these and kind of hearing that this was your passion, you went out and did it, I think is incredible. Thanks, Dominic. Nice of you to say. 
So, yeah. So tell me about the part for you when it talks about knowing your truth and like, how do we discern the truth or the spiritual stuff? You listen to a lot of that. I'm curious what your feelings are about that. And if there's anything that comes up around that for you. I like the idea. A lot of people said they go with their gut and they kind of go with what they're feeling. I also think discerning truth is understanding that everyone you encounter is different. Um, coming to the acceptance that just because one person burned you when you tried to do this last time doesn't mean the next person will too. And mm -hmm. I think, um, I forget who it was, but someone brought up this idea of to, he doesn't always understand truth, but he knows that when he's doing it, that has to be his truth. And maybe he's mm -hmm. not forward thinking that you know, I'm doing this because my bodily reaction or whatever, but he's just mm -hmm. doing this because he wants to. And if he anything that happens to him, he's going to learn from it. But that doesn't mean the next event is going to be the exact same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the whole trick of it, right? Is is staying present enough to let it happen. Mm -hmm. like even, you know, yeah, working at Kokri, I've worked here now for about a year and a half, two years. And it's kind of like I get to do everything I want to do. So I'm going to keep doing it. But at the same time, it's this counteraction of I'm not seeing the benefits I want to yet because it's a work in progress kind of idea. So that's why working on this podcast is so cool because I can see it, I can view it, I can envision it, I know exactly what's going to happen. And for me, the truth of like working with this podcast was I heard a couple, I was like, this is amazing. We need to get this out. I did not have any truth in myself that I could do it. It was just more, I'm going to play with it as much as I can. And if it works out, it works out. And like kind of going with that, being in the art world, I feel like you have to have a trust in the project itself, not necessarily yourself. So that's what I've been dealing with. Like at Kokri, I have to trust that the things that I'm given, I can do. Because if the moment I start to think I can't do it, the moment they don't come to fruition, and that's the mm -hmm. moment that I then don't reap any rewards. That's so true, Dominic. That's a great truth right there. As soon as we stop believing that it's going to come or that we deserve it, we get in the way, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, boy, that's a good prayer for this one. We should definitely get that out of the way any way we can. My goodness, it's such a silly thing. And it's almost like a, a piece of wind or like a little smell in the air. Like you don't even have to grab it. It's really just a smell. But if there's a party that's looking for a checkout or doesn't want to, it's like, oh, but da 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 you know. So I think it's really just keeping fresh breath on it because we get to be different all the time. We don't ever have to be the same. You know, we only can, you know, repeat certain experiences, but even they're going to be different if you really stay present. Yeah. And one of the intros to one of your, one of your friends asked you, what was it like to hear yourself? And I thought your answer was really interesting because like, oh my gosh, I realized like I talk so much and I do this and I do that. But when I listen to them, I don't hear that. And that's kind of like the same way with any time we recreate anything. Like when I show it to people, I am so nervous because I'm like, oh, God, like this is trash. And then they're like, oh, dude, this is sick. You know, like they're just happy to see themselves on screen. They don't even really care what it looks like. Mm -hmm. But then the whole time you're like, ah, like I completely messed up. So I think mm -hmm. that for you to do, you know, like you did like 30 of these or whatever. And to say, even though I do feel this way about myself, I'm just going to keep doing it. I think that's your way of showing that this is your truth. Like, this is you stepping into your truth. So I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think example is really the only way that we can inspire anything. And one of my oldest, dearest friends said to me the other day, like, Matt, like, you're literally growing with the seasons. Like, you you have embodied all the things that you've been talking about. You know, I said, yeah, it was probably going to happen anyway, but I was, like, telling the story while I went. But, yeah, I definitely feel like I'm at a nice balanced place and I'm receiving, you know, the reaps of my, uh, the seeds that I've sown in my life. You know, and, and I think it's really just finding where it is you want to put your energy. And I think that's the whole secret to those early questions you brought in, like the focus of what you do and how the ripple affects everything. So it's like, where's your energy? Is your energy punching up or punching down? Are you building things up or are you putting them down? Yourself included. Right? Mm -hmm. So the more we're helping things come up, encouraging and coaching and laughing and helping it get easier... I don't know, but I imagine it's going to get better. And I think one of the things Cole said that I really appreciated is that he said he would have a child because he knows that it will just keep getting better, even though we can tell all scary thoughts about what it could be. It's like one was saying, oh, this world, and the other's like, well, things always keep getting better. It'll get better. So it's all half full, half empty kind of stuff, right? Yeah, that's kind of like what John Lee Rutgers said with the idea of you can either point out everything that's been ever done wrong to you or ever done wrong in society and say, we're in hell and we're never going to turn around or you can just start praying for everything and you can start really using right. This idea of activism, I feel like is a big thing in this podcast, how everyone right with nasty and with John and a lot of these people, they are activists and kind of stepping into what does that mean? I feel is very interesting because it seemed like to be an activist activist, it's to point out what's wrong and then just give a solution and mm -hmm. point out what's wrong and give a solution. And that's something that I've been working on because it's so easy to just do that first half. Then there's actually solutions that are being done. So I think that's that's the cool I that's like the cool overarching conversation about the whole podcast is we are giving so many solutions in each of these episodes. Nice. Yeah, and I hadn't thought of it that way, but it's true. There's a lot of activist nature and uh, to me the activation is are you willing to use what you are to help us grow? back whole and true right because if you're going to use what you are to talk about how messed up everything else is like one of the jokes i always used to make is like i got a lot of work to do i do not want to be some angry activist like i don't mind being a so a spiritual activist and waking up people and being funny but i'm not looking to be angry because that means that i've decided that there's a winner or a loser and that something's wrong right and there is no winners or losers we're all winning we just have to decide what it is that we're receiving so we know what we're winning Listening to these podcasts, the idea of how do we enact change? How do we, you know, kind of make the world that we want to make, right? And it really comes to understanding everyone and not on a level of, I agree with you, but on a level of, I understand where you're coming from. Like, I see through the portal that you see through. That's why I have that opinion. And it could be wrong, but we have to come to an agreement to where, right? Like, for me, I was 16 when Donald Trump got elected. And what that showed to me is the more you bully someone, the more they're just going to go into their corner. <laughs> so the more that we can understand each other, that's what I love about your dad's voicemail was, you know, you, even though you understood him, even though you might think that you, or that you wanted something different, you understood him for who he was. And you just had to come to the acceptance of this is why. So you just needed that moment of the why. And I feel like if we would have started with, instead of making fun of, Trump supporters or, you know, the the far right people, if we would just said, I understand why he feels, but 
right? Like we, I get you. They might have come to the middle more and been, and same with the far, far left too. But we could have just met in the middle, just like your song, the rhythm in the middle. And to create that rhythm in the middle, you just have to understand people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have totally. to accept their truth. Yeah, and that's what could happen. You know, that's when we could bang it out and negotiate. No, I'll go here. You go this. I'm not doing this. You want to do this? Like we could just, we could go anywhere and say anything. You know, it was such a safe dynamic. You know, and and as you'll hear with so many of my friends and people that I love, like that's where we get to. Like that's my goal. You know, when we all love each other as sweetly as uh, I was able to love my family, my parents, my children, and pass down that love because all it means is show me about you. You know, what, what's it like? Where are you? What's up? You know? So thank you, Dominic, for telling me more about you. I'm excited about the comedy, and I appreciate the thoughtfulness and the depth of what you're bringing into the bigger conversations. And as you know, part of the intention is to spin out into other conversations of our new voice on some of these topics and get more round circles going, bringing in, you know, clear understandings between people. So I like the topics you're bringing in. They're not always in my forefront, but I appreciate being able to speak to them and learn more. So thank you. Hey, thank you. And what I really loved about this project was each of us can do what we're good at and delegate what we're not good at. And so it's been very freeing because a lot of times I'll get in my own head and be like, I need to do everything and you're going to F it up if, if you even touch it. So to go through this project and be like, okay, perfect. Like you got that end. I got this end. It's just been so freeing to actually drive my car in the correct lane. So thank you for everything you've done. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's such a great familiarity to you. As I told you when I first saw your face, I have one of my favorite cousins, David, when he was younger, you look so much like who he was. So I love the way the universe conspires to make us comfortable to be creative and share who we are and why we're here. So thank you for making our new voice possible. Seriously, Dominic, thank you for making it possible. And thank you for being good at what you do and helping me be good at what I'm doing. So yeah, so to everybody who is in any situation where you're getting an opportunity to work with somebody from another generation or learn from a different perspective, like may you be uh, courageous, may you be open, may you listen from the part that wants to find the middle, may you grow there easily. One final question after you, how was it for you being kind of in the boomer generation and talking to all these different generations, did you feel like you were lost? Did you feel like everyone kind of came to the same understanding? How did you feel about that? Well, I think I'm born in 64. So I think I'm like right on the cusp of the boomer game. But, uh, you know, I honestly wasn't looking for where they're the same as much as I was looking to see if we were getting to the truth. Do you know what I mean? Because like when I talk to people, I like to really make sure that we're getting to what's really going on with somebody, like where their clarity is on what they're trying to say. But what I did notice was how I would change with each one of the frequencies of the generations, how my ability to kind of tune in, like, you know, go up to the table and know the vibe and know where to work with the table to get the good tip and understand, like, you know, the things you learned in service as a girl, like my natural ability to kind of like meet what's in front of me and be right there. So I noticed a difference in my energy, the the pace of my voice. I noticed differences when I talked to boys and girls at different ages and stages. I noticed a bunch of things like that. I was like, wow, it's really interesting how much we're influenced by the shared energy of the conversation or the person that we're talking to. 
You know how we, we really do kind of like find a spot to go back and forth in when it's, like, and sometimes it's, oh, but it's still the spot. Do you know what I mean? Like it's how we do it, you know? So I found that each generation brought a different um, reaction and response from me. So I was curious to see how that will be in listening to them all, which I have been doing. And mostly I'm just, I keep getting mostly touched by how real the words are that that person just said and how they are words that I've heard from myself, probably hundreds, if not thousands of people, the same words. So I'm like, oh, good. The words are going out. This is good. You know, because I'm not hearing a common thread more than a unique understanding and a lens that's really aware and trying its best to be who they're here to be and is coming to the table like, belly it up. And that's, you know, I bow to that. Mm-hmm. We got nothing to hide. You know, we might as well meet each other beyond all those other ideas, yeah? Yep, and I think that's the biggest thing that I pray for and hope to manifest is that people can have these tougher conversations with people that they care about and they can come to an understanding together, just like you have in your own life and just like I'm trying to do with people around me now since being opened up to this podcast. So I hope everyone can kind of find that truth in themselves. Thanks, Dominic. Yeah, you've had some great ideas and that's a good one. Yeah, let's spark these conversations. You don't want to not be able to, as my dad said, why didn't you just teach him more about who I am, Madeline? Teach them who I are, and then you won't be upset with them. Help them understand. And I think that's why I had to learn to understand so I could. So as the, as we finished out the last time together, we did understand who he was, and it was a far more enjoyable way. And he wasn't feeling like he messed up or he did it wrong. He was just feeling like we loved him just like he was. So may everybody get loved just like you are. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Because, man, the more we can spread that love with everyone, I think the more people will be able to accept everyone. And then once everyone's accepted, then society society can live in the way that the people want rather than the people living the way society wants. Yeah. And when we give up our light because we stay in the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's meet in the light and maybe feel the light. <laughs> New you my rhymes. But, yeah, let's see what happens. But this is wonderful. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you and our new voice. And Dominic, I think, is going to be in this for a minute. And I'm excited for it to grow into these other circles. And we have great ideas to bring in the elders around music and nature. And, you know, I picked up today when I was listening to Macy and Matisse that they both talked about music and nature as, like, the most important things. And they already are my important things. So I guess I used their impetus to say that is the most important. But... I was happy to hear it from the younger people that they too could really appreciate how what we listen to, you know, it's a diet. You know, what goes into our body, food and otherwise, it's all a diet. So what we listen to with music, the thoughts we have over and over, you know, all of that is creating who you show up as. Mm-hmm. And nature's cool. got a really cool way of taking off some of that crap when you get caught up. So like a good time in the woods is a good way to clean up. Mm-hmm. I like the flow because we start with looking inward and seeing how you were created and then looking at how does the outside world affect you. So I think it's a really interesting duality there. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you, Dominic. Let's see what happens. Appreciate you so much. Hey, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.
You too. Bye. Hi, this is Madeline again. If you're interested in learning more about co-creation and building a new foundation, check out the website gwtsfamily.com and get involved. Join us in growing this frequency of Draining more peace and directions. harmony and possibility. Calling above and below to the space inside me that longs to glow. I call for the wisdom of my teachers and my elders and the wisest part of me. What is it that's going to set us free? How can we find harmony in this family? Please teach me. Show me the way. I know. The way will open. Where is it? Where's the vibe? Rhythm in the middle. Stay centered. Stay true. Do what you're here to do. That's what'll soothe your soul. Rhythm in the middle. Rhythm in the middle. Rhythm. In